The last word on sport on Today FM. With Carlsberg, official beer partner of the FAI. Probably the best partnership in the world. Get the facts, be drink aware, visit drinkaware.ie. And so let's look forward to the World Cup, which of course starts this weekend. And let's get the predictions of Mark Lawrence and Miguel Delaney, Chief Football Writer with The Independent, as to who might win the whole thing in Qatar. And Miguel, let's start with France, the defending champions, because nobody has retained the trophy since Brazil managed it in 62. And is this going to be beyond France, given the injuries to N'Golo Kante and Paul Pogba? Well, certainly there was a situation about three years ago when it was almost, it was seen as if they're almost destined to, um, to to win it again, which was their strength and depth. Since then, there's been some issues with the squad. There was the famous Paul Pogba story earlier this year. That's coincided now with Didier Deschamps, the manager, losing the spine of his team. Um, so Kante and Pogba aren't there. Um, so, I mean, that that's going to affect them. But they do have a conveyor belt of talents. The issue is whether, I suppose, Deschamps can properly incorporate it in a way that's best for the team and I suppose and, and also on top of that to be fair there was what ended up being quite an underwhelming Euro 2020 when they had been expected to actually add add that to the World Cup uh, but I think the thing with France is I suppose we're going to come on to this w- w- the issue with them even though I think they got possibly the deepest strength in terms of a squad in this tournament it's they kind of sum up how every team and particularly every European team it has some sort of flaw Unlike basically all of the last three World Cups, there's no super favourites. So 2010 was Spain, 2014 Germany, 2018 the French themselves. There's no one really like that going into this tournament, not least the French themselves. What do you think of France? They do have, of course, Benzema, who is the Ballon d'Or winner, Mark. But can they incorporate him properly into the team with Mbappe and the others? Well, that's a, that's a great big question, isn't it? $64,000 question. I mean, if you look at the... Uh, the group that, that they're in, we've got what Australia, haven't they? Denmark and Tunisia. So they should come through that, you would hope. But you just, as Miguel's alluding to, Matt, you just never know with them. They just, they, they've taken over from Holland. Remember, in Holland, they had really, really good sides, and then all of a sudden, they would all fall out with each other and go out in the, in the final or lose in the semis. They're a little bit like that. Can you get another tune out of them, Deschamps? Possibly. I wouldn't put them in my top three to win the competition, though. I think actually when you think back to 2010, the French fallout in the squad was worse than anything the Dutch had actually ever managed. OK, well, look at our contenders. We always talk, Mark, about Brazil. And yeah. Brazil are now been regarded by many as the favourites because of the vast array of attacking talent that they have. And beyond Neymar, you sort of wonder, like, who would they pick given all the players they have available for the forward positions? But mm-hmm. are they vulnerable defensively, particularly full-backs? And even perhaps Thiago Silva, 37, in a back two, perhaps vulnerable to pace? Yes, yes, most definitely. I think, I think where they've been helped in that particular position, Matt, is the fact that they've got two absolutely world-class goalkeepers, toss of the coin between, between the two of them. But that, that is a problem with Brazil, although they will probably look at it. They'll probably have a sitter, as in in front of the back three or back four, whichever it may be. But also, they'll be saying to themselves, look, we're going to have possession of most of the ball for most of the game. And they will, I think, just they'll be able to make chances, not willy-nilly, but certainly enough of them in games because of the array of talent that they've got from midfield going forward. So they would be, they would be my favourites with, with an added sort of 
they might just have one bad day in the knockout phase where obviously you can go out of the tournament. In terms of getting through um, the group stage, I think they'll probably walk it. Do you think so, Miguel? That doesn't look like the easiest group. Serbia, Switzerland and Cameroon would all seem to have something about them. Uh, Cameroon perhaps not what they have been in previous tournaments, but certainly, yeah, enough strength. I mean, I I would say, yeah, I think I'd agree with you on that, Matt. I think Serbia and Switzerland, if they're not absolutely top-class sides, they're awkward teams to play against. And Serbia have suddenly got a a little bit of talent coming through. The one thing about Serbia, I suppose, is that they're they're almost, they they could be this tournament's turkey because they've got... um, They've got a similar history. I, mean, I remember going back to 2010, 2006, where they'd been billed as potential dark horses with a lot of talent, only to really underwhelm. So there's a little bit of history to overcome there. But I do think it's an awkward group. But that said, I mean, I think Mark on the other side is right that this Brazil, uh, the manager, Cheech, I think it's pronounced, even though I would have thought it was tight. Um, he's, um, he's, he's crafted the best Brazil team in two, two decades. In fact, in terms of how they play, it's probably better than the 2002 team, if without, obviously, the, the absolute quality of Ronaldo, Ronaldinho and Rivaldo. But they're a really strong unit. And, I mean, certainly, I mean, we're going to come to them, I suppose. For me, it would be one of Brazil or Argentina that are just a level above everyone else at yeah, the moment. but Miguel, Brazil have gone out, what is it, the last three tournaments to European teams that they and when they get I mean most famously their home tournament in 2014 when they got thumped 7-1 in the semi-final by Germany when they couldn't cope with the high press against them and could it be that okay we'll take it that they'll come through the group but they might get a bit worn out by it and then they might be vulnerable in a shootout at some later stage in the tournament if it's a European team that plays at high press against them the, the one thing about that, I mean, to be fair, like the 2014 tournament, I think that was that was Felipe Scolari basically just just about holding a fragile team together under huge pressure because it was at home and it was outdated football as well. The current Brazil aren't like that. They play a very modern game. The, the manager is kind of, he's, he's, he's one of these coaches. He took a sabbatical lot. I mean, for, because for years, one of the issues of Brazilian football that culminated in 2014 was that it had kind of been left behind. It was seen as uh, all, all the advances were taking place in Europe in the way that used to be the case 40 years ago in Brazil. Whereas the manager, Cheech, is kind of, he, he saw this, took a sabbatical out, has stayed on top of the game. And I do think this is a very different Brazil in that regard. Ironically, one of the, probably their one weakness is that fullback. I mean, well, we don't know, basically, bar strikers and playmakers, probably used to be Brazil's most famous position, the flying wingbacks. Roberto Carlos Cafu, whoever you want to name, Carlos Alberto. And now they have to recall Danny Alves. Uh, and it's a key part of the team. And that, that's where they might be got at. What about Argentina? Matt, yeah, Mark, come in first from Brazil. I was just yeah. going to say, I think, I think one point as well, that, and this goes for most of the better teams, in, in inverted commas, in the competition, is five substitutions. Now, you know, I mean, I wouldn't know the strength of Serbia, Switzerland and Cameroon off the bench. I would suggest you it's probably not very good, but Certainly, you know, your big teams with these fantastic squads have got to... It just makes it that much easier for them. And, um, you know, this is also obviously a logical thing to say. The heat, and depending on what time you're going to play some of these games, for the European teams, is not going to help them. It will certainly help, obviously, you know, the South American team, surely. 
What about Argentina that Miguel just mentioned there? Because they still they had a dreadful 2018 World Cup, but they did come back to win the Copa Libertadores. Messi seems more relaxed, perhaps, and he does have a good cast of players and a tighter defence around him as well. He does. He does, but, you know, it's a, it's a few years on again. I mean, I think it's time to, to, to have won. It would have been the last time, to be honest with you. Um, the problem is, Matt, for, for the likes of Messi and those that play in the French League, is, and I don't know if you've seen much of it, but you basically can just roll teams over. And we've seen, in, even, in the, uh, even in the Champions League as well, that it, it's a real problem. For, for uh, Paris Saint-Germain, and, and that's obviously where Messi is. And I just, I just don't see it, Matt. I just think he's got to that stage where he's just going over the hill. He's not climbing anymore. He's coming down the other side. I, I know they'll be difficult to play against. I know they'll go quite far. I just, I just don't see them winning it. But could it be, though, that Miguel, previously Messi has gone into tournaments at the end of a long season, that he's going into this reasonably fresh and that Argentina are set up in a way that he doesn't have to be doing the high press, that he strolls around the place until he does the things that he's absolutely brilliant at, and that he might be in a better place physically as well as mentally to have this last crack of winning a World Cup. Yeah, I mean, that, that's, I, I take Mark's point about the weakness of the French League, and maybe that makes, maybe that's overemphasized. Oh, sorry, that's accentuated Messi's qualities more and made him look like what he was when he's not necessarily like that. But I think for me, I think it's more, it's almost ideal prep for a World Cup and that it's essentially, it's not really pushed him to the limit, but it's kept him ticking over. He still, he suddenly also, out of that, out of probably the best condition he's been in for two or three years, and I was actually the best football form he's been in since maybe 2018, 2019, um, that, I mean, he's... The other side of it as well is that he's kind of grown with this Argentina side. Um, I mean, they were a disaster in 2018 where they, they went down the last 16 to France. Messi had a bad tournament. And since they, they went through a bit of a crisis and and they almost, they, they had a former player in Scaloni as manager and he was almost basically a stopgap. But he basically came in, had an idea for the team, worked it out, played to their strengths and played to Messi's strengths. And, he, and he's got Messi in this position now where he doesn't have to move too much. There's a lot of movement around him. He's a lot closer to goal. He's in good shape. And suddenly there's just this momentum about Argentina. And also, I mean, for, for all that, the weakness of the, of the French League, Messi has been doing it in the Champions League against some good sides. He absolutely destroyed Italy in that finalissima in, in June uh, at Wembley. Now, granted, it mightn't have been the Italy that won Euro 2020 because of various issues. And Chiesa was injured and the like. But it's, it's still notable. Uh, although from that perspective, and this is this is relevant to Brazil as well, it's actually quite an old-fashioned World Cup in this sense. In that, both Argentina and Brazil, and actually most all, all the South American sides, really, they've barely met European sides in the last three years be- because of COVID, because of the calendar, and it does mean kind of this. This is kind of sort of going to be an old-fashioned clash of the uh, clash of the continents in that sense. Well, they'll actually find out a lot about each other. After we've been talking about Messi, Mark, what about the man who's dominated the headlines all week, his great rival in goal scoring and for status, Cristiano Ronaldo. I wonder mm-hmm. will Portugal be tempted to do a Manchester United and leave him off the team? Well, they made the first big decision, which obviously is, is that he's in the squad. Um, it was interesting, his, uh, 
competing with Fernandez, if you could possibly call call it that. That looked very, very frosty. Um, and he's not played, Matt. He's not played for a while. And do you know what? It, it's not it's not just a case of getting your your physical fitness. It's a case of you know getting your touch. And at, at this level, with players like him, that's absolutely totally massive. And Portugal, I don't think, are the team that they used to be. Quite obviously, because you know, four years ago, he was still an outstanding player. And um, why would you take him and not play him? And because if you didn't play Matt. He's going to sulk, is he not? Oh, he could cause ructions, I'd imagine. But again, you know, could it be that the tournament could be set up for him in, in that if the team sets itself up and not doesn't expect him to do what Ten Hag wants him to do at Manchester United, doesn't expect him to do all the running and pressing, gets others to do it for him, that he still has that incredible ability to score goals, yeah. as indeed we saw during the qualifiers. Yeah, if, listen, if, if, they, if, they, if they build a team around him and say, right, this is it, you know, you don't go outside the 18-yard box kind of thing up throughout the game, you just sniff out all the chances. If, if Portugal play on the front foot, sometimes you watch them play and they seem to have so many touches and it's like, let's play pretty football and quite often they don't get in the box early enough with the, with the, uh, with the passes, etc. for the likes of him. But if you, if you get the ball into him in good positions, he will score. I'll tell you what, I think it's a massive if. What do you think, Miguel? Has he actually also made things potentially more difficult for himself with all the attention he's drawn upon himself? Well, he's put a lot of pressure on himself, I would say, uh, in a way that really shouldn't be true of uh, a player with his legacy, who's already won a major international tournament in Portugal. And yet now, as, as, as he seems almost, there's almost this denial about Ronaldo to accept where he is as a player, which I think contributes to some of these pretty farcical interviews with Piers Morgan. Uh, and, 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 it me- and it means he's gone. I mean, it, it, there, is, there is something kind of tragic about it, I have to say, especially he's kind of trying to fill this vacuum between the club season and the start of the World Cup. But, like, he, he shouldn't need to be doing this. And yet now he suddenly, because there's all this commotion on him, a commotion around him, it puts him under this pressure to produce. And, all, I mean, there are bigger issues going on with Portugal. The thing about it is, Portugal have, a really, really good squad. So much quality in there. But there's a bit of a, there's a lot, been a lot of debate. In fact, it's pretty gone past debate in Portugal now uh, where basically they think this manager has gone stale in terms of overseeing the team. He was, it's Fernando Santos. He was the manager that won Euro 2016 with them. But the football is seen as out of date, uh, as basically shaped towards a talent, or basically that it, that it doesn't get the best out of the players available. And it also, of course, central to this is it's kind of focused towards Ronaldo and a forward at this point that can't really move too much. And, and you would, I mean, I suppose maybe Portugal's tournament could go one of two ways. You can see it now. Either maybe, maybe Ronaldo does it again and defies us all and kind of produces. Um, although, his, I mean, his Manchester United season would cast considerable doubt on that. Okay. Or, or we could have a situation where Portugal realised they need to drop him and do something different. But I can't really see that happening. Mark Lawrenson. Belgium and Croatia are together in Group F. And Croatia, of course, the revelation of 2018, getting to the final, still built around an ageing Luka Modric. Belgium, the sort of the underperformers who haven't won despite this incredible talent. It might be a last chance for Kevin De Bruyne, but they look like an elderly squad as well, relatively speaking. What do you reckon for the two of them? Well, I'd, I'd take Belgium over uh, Croatia, Matt, any day, all day long. And, and when you've got the likes of De Bruyne, uh, arguably the best player in, in, uh, 
in England in the Premier League, most certainly. I, I, I like I like the way that they play. I think the manager, obviously, you know, managed in England, as we know, defensively wasn't particularly good, but his teams do go forward. They do attack. I think that, I think they've got more outstanding players than Croatia have. I mean, if they got in the group to come out, it's, it's Canada and Morocco. I don't think that'll be any problem for both both of those teams. I quite fancy Belgium having getting to the later stages. I, I don't fancy them to win it. But, uh, you know, this fellow De Bruyne, Matt, it, it's, I don't know. I mean, superlatives every time we see him. And, yeah, every time we see him, he, he, is, he is superb. Um, and if you build your team around him, which obviously the manager has done, he's going to make loads and loads of chances for that team. He's, I just think he's brilliant. Well, who's going to take the chances, Miguel? But Lukaku be fit. Well, I mean, it's a big question. Uh, I mean, actually, actually, I must say my bigger concern with Belgium isn't necessarily about the goal scoring because I think they're another one of these teams where even if they don't, even if the number nine isn't at, at its top level, you've got De Bruyne there, as Mark's mentioned. There's a lot of quality going forward. But my concern would be more so that they've once again called up for Tonga and Alder Wild. Uh, and it speaks to maybe a team that is, I mean, they're going from the goal generation to one that's got a bit of rust around it because it's getting, there's a staleness there as well. Um, not 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 quite as pronounced as as Portugal uh, in terms of kind of the manager, but more so just the feel of the team. And I do wonder whether, from that perspective, I, like I think they'll get through the group stage, obviously. Although they mightn't finish top because it is awkward. Um, I do wonder whether they have the leg the legs for this. Mark, yes, Mark. Well, I'm just going to on that subject as well. It, it's going to be interesting. You know, the first few games, all the teams are watching the teams that are playing and all those kind of things. It'll be very, very interesting to see at what pace the games are played. And, you know, if, if you've got a one o'clock kickoff, a four o'clock kickoff, things like that, are you going to be able to play the pressing game? You know, if you are one of the European teams, are you going to be able to play that? Or is it going to be one of those keeper just passes it to the fullback, knocks it around, and they slowly but surely make their way up to the, up to the opposition's end of the pitch? God, that's, so that's think, sort of old-style football we've almost forgotten about. Well, there you go. There you go. So, you know, it, 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 it is one of those. And, and quite often, you know, we're all, we're all looking at these games and all these, these are 32 teams and we're kind of saying, how, how is this World Cup going to be played? And there's no doubt about it. If, if, if you watch the first few games, there then becomes a pattern about how, how people think they can cope with conditions, climate, etc., and opposition. So, Miguel Delaney, there's always what they call a group of death in the World Cup where some big name goes out. Spain and Germany, could they have difficulties maybe with an emerging Japan, if not necessarily with Costa Rica? Although we have underestimated perhaps teams coming out of the Caribbean in the past. Um, I think they've got too, or I, sorry, I would usually say they've got far too much quality if this basically, if this tournament was played in normal conditions and both Germany and Spain had to play Costa Rica and Japan, I think they'd, they'd get through quite easily. But I think this speaks to something that Mark was saying there where, <coughs> sorry, um, a lot of these European teams are only going in with five, six days together. Uh, and even though the, pl- the, the players themselves are in better physical condition than most World Cups, because as kind of the conditioning people would say it, the physical load at this point of the see this point of the season is much lower. There's just that kind of they they they, they won't have worked together that much. You could leave teams a little bit kind of n- not quite fully cohesive or coherent in that way. And I do think we could see a few upsets in the first in the first group because of that. I think that that's where it could be interesting. And in terms of the group itself, I mean. Well, sorry, not even the group itself. Just look at Spain and Germany as potential yeah. winners, given that they did win in 2010, 2014, respectively. 
Well, there's a big thing here. Right? I mean, first of all, I think Germany have maybe, I mean, their weakness, you'd say, is lacking a, a finisher. But the overall quality of the team is incredible. I saw they, they haven't been brilliant this year, but there was a sign of what they can do. I think when they played England in Munich in June, when they were much better than England, I thought they were brilliant. Spain have Gavi and Pedri in the middle, two absolutely generational talents. A little bit, the, the squad is a little bit short in other areas. But the strange thing about Spain is, it, like as we saw in the Euros, when they were brilliant against Italy and got knocked out on penalties, they, it seems more so than any other team at this tournament, they raise their game to the quality opposition and struggle in games where they play against sides that sit deep against them. But, I mean, this is another side of this as well. Germany and Spain, whatever about their playing quality, they're the only two teams in this tournament where the managers have had recent success at the absolute top level of the game, which is club football. And both, they haven't just had success. They've both won international trebles. Luis Enrique won the treble with Barcelona in 2015. Hansi Flick won with Bayern two years ago. And over, especially in the latter stages, that, that could make a real difference. Um, but in terms of that group, I can see it going as if Spain actually beat Germany, but finished second because they struggle against one at Costa Rica and, and, and Japan. Uh, but certainly, oh yeah, I'd have, I'd, to be honest, I'd have both up there just behind Argentina and Brazil. Yeah, what do you think, uh, Mark? Are these the main two European challengers? Yeah, I think I think so. I, I couldn't agree with anything Miguel says. Although, and, and Spain have got over that age-old thing where, you know, um, the, the players from Barcelona and Madrid didn't particularly like each other, but that's, that's a long gone, uh, long gone away from the Spanish. Um, Germany, you know what you're going to get with, with, with Germany. They're always well-drilled. Technically, extremely good, as Miguel says, lacking maybe in a, in a striker, but that wouldn't be a worry for them. You know, also things, and as daft as this sounds, so we haven't done a ball kick penalties, Germany, all day long. So I would, I would definitely agree with that. OK, so what about England? Mark, <laughs> I mean, they've been in crap form this year, really. But if you look at the squad, there's a lot of really good players, particularly if Harry Kane stays fit and scores mm-hmm. goals and with the emergence of a player like Jude Bellingham. Yeah, Bellingham looks a, looks a real deal. I mean, typical with, with England and the English press, they've, they've chucked so much on top of his head that expects him to win the World Cup on his own, which is pretty normal for them. Um as you rightly say, say about Kane, I, I think in, in many, many ways, um, the, the kind of midfield stroke wide players are all very, very good indeed. But, but, but Kane's the issue. Now, um, one day we hear that he's tired, the next day the manager, his, his manager contribute to, at club level is saying, no, he, he's absolutely fine. There's an awful lot of stress and pressure put on him. And, and the other thing, Matt, is as well, how will England play? Will, will Southgate stick with the, what I think is ridiculous of the, you know, the two holding midfield players? And why at this level you need those, I will never ever know because if one's not good enough, two's no good. So I think he's, I think Gareth Southgate might just let them off the leash a little bit. I think this will be his last competition regardless of what happens. Last, last time as English manager. And I think he's now under pressure. And I think it's pressure from within the players that he's got. But he's, lo- he's got to let them have a go at it because they've got so many creative players in that team. And we talked about substitutions before. You can bring some top players off. And by the way, top players will come on and replace them. But Miguel, Mark talks about Harry Kane being the key man. What about the other Harry? Harry Maguire. <laughs> I mean, Miguel, if Saltgate sticks with Maguire, as it's suggested he will, is that not an 
outrageous gamble given the form he's been showing over the last 12 months or so. Oh, I suppose Southgate, I mean, I was at a squad announcement last week and his rationale was basically Maguire's never let us down. And it speaks to, I suppose, two themes we've been talking about here, which is um, all the top teams having some flaw and also a certain amount of staleness in that Maguire was obviously a mainstay of 2018. He's been played right through uh, Southgate's time. And that speaks to, even though England, I would say, have one of the most talented squads in the tournament, all that talent is basically front-loaded or, or out wide. Whereas they've got these a lot of gaps in the centre, which is um, in central midfield and particularly in central defence, which is mean, which means Southgate has to go back to someone he relies on in Maguire. But also, I think it has another effect on England where, and, and it's almost just a contradiction in terms, really, where because they've got because they're so lacking in quality in the centre, it means Southgate basically to protect that, he puts more numbers back there, which actually takes away, or has to, it means there has to be the removal of more of his most talented players further forward. So like we're going to a situation where, what, they've probably got about six to seven really good attacking players in England, but only three or four of them will play because he has to basically offer protection for that back line. Okay. I mean, and so Maguire is kind of, he, he, he almost kind of personifies England cycle as well in the sense I suppose it was his England form that first got him a move to Manchester United and now it's Manchester United form that's caused a drop in his performance level OK listen as, as we're almost out of time so just very briefly Miguel just give me in 30 seconds Louis van Gaal thinks the Dutch can win it really? I, I think I think so um, a lot of quality an astute manager again someone that's had club success relatively recently if not as recent as Luis Enrique or Flick and in a tournament like this, where, where they're together in that way, um, yeah, I, I really don't... I mean, they, they could be the real dark horses if you can ever call the Dutch dark horses. Um, good job. I brought them up at the last moment in case we left them out and they ended up winning the thing. <laughs> All right. We look forward to talking to you both next week. Mark Lawrenson and Miguel Delaney, thank you so much for being with us. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4.30. Today.